0: Hey, good morning, Joy, at first. So good to see you guys this morning. Um, Hey, can we give Jeannie a big hand for filling in last week? She did a great job, didn't she? Jeannie, thank you so much. Uh, We did have a good time uh, hanging out with the students, and uh, Justin and I and Austin and I were shredding it on. We were shredding the Gnar up on the Cascade Mountain. Uh, That's snow, by the way. For those of you not familiar with snowboard language. Uh, But anyway, we had a great time. Thanks for allowing me to go for for the weekend with them. And teens, thanks for allowing me to be... Uh, hang out with you guys for a little bit. We had a good time. If you're new here, we want to welcome you this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, our mission as a church is to be a community of hope. That's our goal here is to be a community of hope. And what's interesting is early in God's scriptures, he basically tells his community, "Hey, listen, I need you to be hope to the world. I need you to leave the edges of your field for people in need. And that's kind of been our mission. We've been asking, how can we be the edge to the world around us? And so if you're here, uh, that's kind of our mission here. Our goal is to bring you hope today as well. Listen, there's a reason why you've come. Some of you need hope. Some of you need help. We all need hope and help. And I hope this morning uh, this is helpful to you. We are in a series called The Good and Beautiful Life. If you haven't been with us or you've missed us, uh, you can catch up online. I don't have time to rehash the last three, four weeks, uh, but they've been good. Uh, We learned early in the fall, we addressed this idea about the good and beautiful God. Uh, You have beliefs about God that aren't necessarily true, and so we learned all we needed to know about God over the fall. And now that we know everything we need to know about God, I say that jokingly, uh, we are now working on our lives because our lives are messy. And so it's been our goal over the last, uh, it's our goal for 12 weeks to address the mess. And if you know people who have messy lives and messy situations... Uh, We would ask that you bring them. In fact, next week, we're talking about much of what uh, many of us struggle with, which is lying. Uh, Looking forward to that conversation. Um, I just lied, actually, about that. So, anyway, come next week, we'll talk about lying. Looking forward to this morning. Uh, Thank you again for allowing me to be your pastor, to stand before you every week and bring God's word to you. Would you pray for me this morning? Lord, we do give thanks. Um, Thanks for this opportunity to worship you, to to raise our hands and magnify the God who has created us and made us to be something for the world. Teach us to be hope. Teach us to be love. And I pray today that you would teach us on this particular issue that many of us struggle with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I remember it was a sunny Easter Sunday. It was a sunny Easter Sunday. we just finished up service, and we were going home for Easter lunch Uh, ham, whatever goes along with ham, I don't remember. But we were driving home uh, on a four-lane highway. My in-laws were in town, great people, loved them so much, beautiful people. Uh, I was talking to my father-in-law over in the passenger seat, and we were yapping away. don't know what we were talking about, probably the service or whatever. But um, we were on a four-lane highway, and we were coming up on Walmart. Uh, We had a big Walmart there in Lee Summit when we lived near Kansas City. And the exit happened to be on this main four-lane road. And um, I can remember we were pulling, we were coming down the road, uh, following the speed limit, probably not, but following the speed limit. And all of a sudden I noticed that there was a car coming close to the exit. And I thought, surely they're not going to pull out in front of me. So I didn't think anything about it, kept talking with my father-in-law. And sure enough, like this lady pulls out in front of me and I nearly run into the back of her. Now, I don't know if I've told you this, but it was Easter Sunday. So, you know, this is like the Sunday where Christians, they get it right. Like, everybody's a varsity follower, Jesus, on Easter Sunday. Like, if there's any chance that I would do something holy or God-honoring or that it would be pleasing in His sight, like, this was the day, right? Easter Sunday. And she pulls out in front of me on Easter Sunday. And in the moment, wasn't expecting it. I had precious cargo in the back. I didn't want to kill anybody. I was scared. I was scared. And so... I did what many of what you would do, right? I got angry in the moment. And so I decided to pull back off of the brake and put my foot on the gas. And I went right up to her bumper and I put my bumper against her bumper. You've done this, right? Uh, Where they can't see your license plate, but they can see that you're angry and you're upset and you're mad that you pulled out in front of me. And we were approaching the light. And so I pulled up to the left of her. And I don't know if I told you this. But it was Easter Sunday. And uh, I was sitting next to the most Easterly, hope filled, resurrected person I know, my father in law. And like all of that went out the window. Uh, Hope, resurrection, new life, anything positive went out the window the moment she pulled out in front of me and the moment I got angry with her. And so I looked past one of the most holy people I know, my father in law. I looked past him through the window through her window and I was staring. I was burning a hole in the side of her face. And I'll never remember what my father, I just can't forget it. My father-in-law said to me, he said, on Easter Sunday, so fitting, that wasn't very Christ-like. And I was so mad at this lady. I said, and I can't believe I said this on Easter Sunday. I said, Last time I checked, I'm not Jesus. Oh, man. Uh, it was silent the rest of the ride home. It was silent during Easter lunch. Uh, and again, nothing holy or hope-filled was given that day to that lady. If she's listening, I apologize I'm so sorry. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, you can be a pastor. I wasn't a pastor at the time. But listen, don't be judging me because you have the same issues. You've got anger issues. In fact, I want to ask this question today. I want to work around this question today. What makes you angry? In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to answer the first thing that comes to mind. Turn to your neighbor, ask him what makes you angry and then fill in the blank. All right. Wow. We've got a lot of angry people in here. Well, here's the good news, right? If you're not answering this question, or you feel like you're not an angry person, anger is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when right? Anger is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Like when you told your kid, listen, I'll be in in a second. I'll pour you the glass of milk. You come in a minute later and the whole gallon of milk is poured out on the floor, right? Or, or when that person, you get it, you've been in Chicago. Everybody in Chicago has road rage. Everybody drives 40 miles per hour over the speed limit, which is kind of fun, actually. It's fun to, it's fun to speed. Um, but you, maybe you have road rage, right? And you get angry at people when they cut you off or they go too slow or, or whatever may happen. Uh, but maybe it goes deeper than that for you, right? Maybe anger is a deeper issue. Maybe somebody has hurt you. Maybe somebody has uh, said something about you that wasn't true. Or maybe somebody has made it their life goal to make your life miserable. And over time, over time, the more that you deal with that hurt and that pain, the more angry you become. See, here's another cause of anger too, and that is this, is unexpected failure. See, maybe you thought you would be somewhere different than where you are right now. Maybe you're saying, I thought I was going to be there by this age, but I'm still here, and I'm angry about everything that's keeping me here. Maybe for some of us it's money, right? Maybe for some of us, we we have money issues and struggles, and we feel like we can't provide for our family, and we know it's just the simple things that we should be able to provide. And it hurts us because we can't provide, and we look at people who have it all, and we think, man, why can't they share? And we become angry about that. Uh, Students and teenagers, or maybe college students, uh, maybe you go to school, and there's that one person who seems to be bullying you every time you walk through the door. And at first, it was very hurtful, and you were extremely scared. But over time, the more they do it, the more angry you become about the situation. See, we all have anger issues. And the question I want to ask you today is, what makes you angry? And why does it make you angry? Maybe you don't know this, but there are two different types of anger. The first one is a visceral anger, which is simply this. There's not a lot of lag time and its immediate response. An action in your reaction. There's not a lot of lag time between an action and your reaction. And so this is like, uh, you get in the car, you're late for an appointment, and your significant other forgot to fill up the gas, you've been here. And all of a sudden, you notice, I'm going to be late because I have to fill up. And immediately, it's like, bam, you become angry. But there's also what we call meditative anger. Meditative anger. Now, this is the the kind of anger that builds up over time. It kind of grows. Again, It's kind of the deeper issues, the people that have hurt you, the the people that have made your life miserable. These are the people that you become angry with over time. And if you're like me, you stand in the mirror and you practice conversations about what you're going to say to them the next time you see them, right? And so what's interesting, though, about anger is this. There are two major ingredients, and it's this, fear and unmet expectations. The reason why you get angry the reason why I get angry, just like the lady cut out on me. When she cut out in front of me, I wasn't expecting it. When she did, I was fearful that somebody could have gotten hurt. Fear and unmet expectations are what cause us to be angry. Let me give you an example. Right? Some of you have had a bit, uh, an important lunch, whether was with, with, uh, with a business partner, a friend, or maybe a loved one, or a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or whatever it was. You were supposed to have lunch at noon, and all of a sudden it's 1220 and you're sitting in Panera or uh, uh, chicken or whatever your choice is, whatever, I, you know, Chick-fil-A. I don't care what it is. You're supposed to be meeting them at 12 and it's 1220. And through that gap of 20 minutes, you go through a wide range of emotions, everything from worry of what could be wrong with them to irritation of why aren't they here? You see... You begin to fear, right? You think to yourself, well, I bet, I bet if, if it was with so-and-so, they would be on time. See, when people are late, you feel a lack of respect. By the way, if you're always late, just so you know this, you're disrespecting the people you're meeting with. Uh, that's, that's a handout. That's helpful. That's free. Uh, but if you're late, you're disrespecting the people uh, that you're supposed to meet with. But maybe they're late. You feel disrespected by that. And here's the fear. The fear is that if they were with somebody else, they would have been on time. And the fear is you aren't valuable. The fear for you is that you aren't valuable. But there's also an unmet expectation. The expectation was that, hey, we were going to have this long, beautiful lunch where we could talk about life or talk about goals or talk about whatever it was we were going to talk about and all of a sudden, because they're 20 minutes late, our lunchtime is going to be cut short. And that, that conversation or that experience or even our relationship through that is going to be cut short. And so there's an unmet expectation that you had going into it. And that causes anger. And here's, here's what I know. You've had this, right? People will show up late and they get there. And then they say this, I'm sorry I'm late. I almost forgot we were supposed to meet. And then everything that you've experienced during that 20-minute span becomes true. The fear that you're not valuable, the unmet expectation that your lunch is now ruined, all of that becomes true for you, and you become irritated and angry. And some of us are passive-aggressive, right? They'll start talking to you, and you won't be talking to them. You'll just kind of let it slide, but you're letting them know that, hey, I'm irritated. Or maybe you're just blunt like me, and you're like, dude, you really made me mad. And you just come out and you say it. Maybe you're just blunt with them. But either way, you let them know you're angry. But anger goes deeper than fear and unmet expectations. It goes deeper than that. See, it has to do with a narrative that many of us have been taught over and over and over when we were young, and it has everything to do with control. Control. That's what it all boils down to. See, you've been taught from a young age, we have been taught in life that we control our lives, we control our circumstances. And what happens when they get out of control? When we lose control of something, we get into a fight or flight mode. And anger becomes our ally because it, because it is like the, the, the deepest form of resistance to fear and unmet expectations that we have. In fact, anger is this. I like this. Anger, we say, is this. That it's a loss of control or an empty feeling of fear. And what happens When you lose control, you think, and we think, the more angry we become, the more control we have over the situation. And essentially what it comes down to is this, is you relying on your own resources. Mm -hmm. Control is about self-reliance and reliance upon your own resources. And this is why we become angry. But what's interesting is this is not the way Jesus teaches. This is not what he teaches. In fact, when we talk about the kingdom, we don't really talk about control. We talk about something different. And we're talking about the good and beautiful life. And if we want to live the good and beautiful life, we have to understand this: this, this there's something deeper with anger. And, it, and it's more than just control. And Jesus begins to talk about it today. And he wants us, he wants us to live into the kingdom. That he's been telling us all about. That leads to the good and beautiful life. So, listen to what he says. I love this. He says, For I tell you, that unless your righteousness, hang on to this, that unless your righteousness surpasses, oh my goodness, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know you're saying, what does this have to do with anger? And I thought you said that this was going to give us hope. But if you're like me, man, I read that statement and I think righteousness surpasses. Yeah, um, definitely not me. Uh, maybe you feel that way. You think of righteousness and you think definitely not going to happen. Right? You, you know this, that the Pharisees had 613 laws. 365 of them were negative commands and 248 were positive commands. Now that's important. We'll get to that in a second. But they were experts. They were experts, experts, experts at making sure they followed every rule. And if you're like me, you're saying, yep, not me. Uh, rules to me are like barriers. They're just barriers to a better life, really. That's what rules are. Uh, they're boring. People who follow rules in life, I think are boring. Um, they're just not a lot of fun. Uh, sorry if you follow rules. But if you're like me, you hear this statement and you're like, okay, that's the end of the day. Uh, no chance of kingdom of heaven for me. Let's call it a day. Let's just leave and go home. But, But I want to pose this question to you. What if, what if the benchmark of righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees is not as high as we think? What if the benchmark that Jesus is talking about is actually not as high as we think? See, we, we lofted up there like, whoa, that's unattainable. It's unreachable. Nobody in their right mind can keep 613 laws. I can't even show up to time on time when it comes to church. So how could I even think about 613 other laws? You're, you're there, right? It's so interesting to me because we associate righteousness with something holy. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in fact, the expression that he gives here is, when we are as we ought. I love that. When we are as we ought. When things are as they ought to be. When you are doing what you were designed to do. When things are as they ought to be. I love that. And then he goes on to say, not only that, when you are as you, you ought, you will surpass. surpass, And this language means present fulfillment. Present fulfillment. Now, I know we're heavy on the language here. We're going to tie that into the whole statement with the Pharisees coming up next. But, but do you have present fulfillment in your life? Do you feel like things are as they ought to be? And when you get angry, do you get the sense that things are as they ought? And do you have fulfillment when you carry out that anger on somebody else? I know that when I got angry at that lady, um, and I was kind of angry in that span of life, there was an emptiness. And Jesus gets this about the Pharisees. See, we think he's setting a high benchmark. He's actually pointing out what's wrong in their life. And I want you to think about this. The Pharisees thought, the Pharisees thought that if they kept all 116, 613 laws, that they would bring about what Jesus talks about, the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to notice that I said 365 were what you ought not do in life. See, they spent most of their time thinking about what they should and what they shouldn't do. Like, I probably shouldn't be part of this. I should probably stay away from that. I shouldn't participate in this event or do this. In fact, they went around pointing out to other people what they shouldn't be doing as well. What you ought not be doing. And when you stake your life on what you ought not do in life, when you stake your life on a bunch of rules, it becomes a game for them. See, this was just a religion. It was a matter of science for them. They've got it down to a science. That if I just avoid this, then I'll be okay. But think about this. 613. 365 things that we shouldn't do every day. You ever think that perhaps they made a mistake? You ever, you ever wonder what happened to them when the ought not came into their life and they did something they weren't supposed to do? All of a sudden, fear begins to move in. What's going to happen to me because I didn't do this? There was an unmet expectation for them that, oh my goodness, I thought I could keep this law and for some reason I broke it. And so it was fear and unmet expectations. And you ever wonder why that they posed the Pharisees in the New Testament as angry Fear, unmet expectations, doing everything we ought not do, right? And for them, they thought it was about controlling a destiny that really led to a life of unfulfillment. They were empty, and I love what Jesus says. You look beautiful on the outside, but you are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You think I speak harsh to you? Hang out with Jesus for a few days. You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but you are empty and get it, right, surpass unfulfilled in your current life. So Jesus says, let's, let's take it a step further. Let's take it one more step. You see, the benchmark really isn't that high. In fact, here's what I need you to know is that you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if anyone, if any one of you is, oh, here's the word, angry, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, you've heard, don't murder, but if you murder, you'll be subject to judgment. He then goes on to say, if you are angry, if you're angry with a brother or sister, it's not just about murder. If you're angry with them, you will be subject to judgment. Now, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if this is relevant, but Jesus is throwing shade on the Pharisees at this point. He's saying, listen, congratulations. You don't murder people. Good job, guys. Wonderful. Wonderful externally you don't murder people great job you see murder is just an external action but anger is the internal emotion of murder you ever think about that you ever wonder why people murder other people you say well what got into their mind anger murder is just the external result of an internal emotion which is anger And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying when he says we've got to go above the benchmark of where the Pharisees are because they're just addressing the external issue, and really it's about an internal issue. And we have to start with the heart. We have to start with the heart, and here's why. Here's why. The reason why we feel unfulfilled in life, the reason why we feel like, oh, something ought not be, or we feel like we aren't as we should be, or we feel like there's unmet expectations or fear in life, Results with this very issue. And Jesus says, if you're angry with people, you'll be subject to judgment. Now, I got to take you deeper, right? This is what's so fun about studying what Jesus has to say. We often associate judgment with God sitting on a throne with this big old scepter. And we stand before him and he tells us how bad we are, then taps us on the head and we're all damned and doomed to hell for life. That's how we perceive judgment at times. But Jesus says this. It's interesting. He says, if you are angry with a brother or sister, he doesn't say you will be subject to judgment. He says you will be subject to estrangement. Estrangement. You ever had somebody break up with you? You ever had somebody walk out on you? You ever had somebody that you cared deeply for, who you loved, who you invested your entire life in, all of a sudden say, I want nothing to do with this relationship anymore. And you remember that relationship kind of gave you a sense of fulfillment. You felt like life is as it ought to be. We are as we ought when this relationship is going. But the moment you remember when they said, we're done, or I don't want to see you, in that moment, suddenly something was ripped out of your soul and there was an emptiness there. There was a a lack of fulfillment in your life. There was a void in your life. And when that person was gone, there was a piece of you that was gone as well. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we are angry with people, when we are angry with others, you're not killing them. You're only killing you. There's a void in your life. And I love it because Jesus says, I need you to go deeper. I need your righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisees. When we are as we ought, when we don't get angry with people, there is a present fulfillment in life that you will begin to experience. And for some of us, the reason why we have that void or we feel like we are as we not ought be is because anger, fear, unmet expectations, and lack of control control our so for Jesus, again, it goes deeper. It's a heart issue. And so he says, I need to move you from fear and control into trust. That's what I need you to hear. That we move from fear and control to trust. People who are angry always, I love this, always use the words always and never. I'm always alone. It's never fair to me. I always need to be perfect. You've heard people talk like this, right? It's always endeavor. There's never an intermediate. It's, it's like far extremes. But all that expresses is fear and control. Fear and control. I'm not in charge, or I'm in charge. I'm taking care of my life. And when things don't go my way, well, you know, I'm not sure what happened. But Jesus wants us to move to this idea of trust, which is you're not in control. I'm in control. When things don't go your way, guess what? It may not be fun, but guess who gets the last say? I do. Guess who gets the last word in your, your current predicament that you don't enjoy or don't want to be a part of? I do. It's about moving from fear and control into trust. I was a youth pastor before I was pastor here, um, and I was mentoring a young man, um, who externally was filling his life with drugs, and he was overdosing at times, and sleeping with lots of girls, and, um, he was, you know, we loved on him, he's a great kid, he had a beautiful heart, he really did, and we would meet for small group every week, um, by the way. Yeah, we did that with teenagers, and it worked really well. Um, If you're not in a small group, you should get one. But I would take him home after our small group, and I would drive him home. And that's when real conversation began to happen. It was just the two of us. And I knew there was something going on with him. I just couldn't put a finger on it. And he just came out and said it. He said, hey, listen... Uh, The problem with my life is this. Uh, When I was young, my mom used drugs, and uh, she was married to my dad, who was a really bad guy. And he walked out on us. He lived with his mom at the time, but I was sent to live with my grandmother. And then my grandmother died. The, The lady who invested in my life, the one who cared about me the most, all of a sudden left. Estrangement, right? He was living with his mom when I was mentoring him, and... He said, but that, that's not the big issue. The big issue is my father, that he has just left us to fend for ourselves, to, take, to live on our own. I'm supposed to be the man of the house, and, and I'm angry with him. I'm angry with him. He's hurt my life, and he was, oh man, he was just talking about this. It was intense. And he called me a week later and said, what would happen, what would happen, Brad, if, if I forgave him? I said, well, you better put on your big boy pants because I couldn't do it. He said, well, I just wonder if I gave him a phone call, what that would look like or what he would say. And I said, well, just say what you need to say. Be honest with him. Don't be afraid of him, don't be fearful of him, but just just trust God that he's going to give you the right words in the moment. Kid calls me the next day and says, I called my dad last night. How'd that go? It went really well. I told my dad that I was angry with him because he left us to fend for ourselves. And that my life was miserable because of it. That I had to take care of my sister. I had to take care of my mom. I had to do all this stuff. And you just walked out like you didn't even care. And he said, but you know what? I'm learning that God is changing my life. And that in order for there to be a change in my life, I need to forgive you. And he forgave his dad right on the spot. And he said, you know what, Pastor? And he said, I don't, I don't know what happened in that moment, but I went from like, I'm not sure what life was all about. I kind of felt like it was an ought not kind of moment. I was feeling kind of empty inside, but it was all, all part of anger and it all stemmed back to my father. And the moment I dealt with that issue, rather than being angry with him, rather than being upset with him, I addressed it. And when I forgave him, there was a peace, there was a fulfillment in my life. Now, these are my words, not his, but this is what he was saying to me. There's something in my life I can't explain anymore. I kind of feel like I ought, I am as I ought to be. When I forgave him, I was doing something that I was designed to do. And I know that he found present fulfillment. He surpassed the righteousness of any Pharisee, of anybody who kept 613 laws the moment he forgave his father who hurt him. But he experienced what Jesus talks about. The kingdom of heaven. And this is the good and beautiful life. And so if you're dealing with anger, and all of us deal with anger to some degree, I just want to say this. When there's an absence of fear, anger will not appear. You can remember that. Say it with me. When there's an absence of fear, anger will not appear. When there's an absence of fear, anger will not appear. And you're saying, how do I get to the absence of fear part? It's not about fear. It's not about control. It's about what? Trust. Trust. Do you know what it took for that young man to trust God with a phone call to his father, some of you can't even look at your own parents in the face and talk to them. Imagine a 16-year-old boy calling his dad. Imagine the amount of trust that took. Can I just invite you on this journey? That if you want to live the good and beautiful life, if you no longer want to be angry with other people, it's about trusting God with every situation of your life. Every situation of your life, as long as you try to control it, you will always be angry. Don't buy into that. There's enough angry people in this world to go around, but there are not enough people who live a good and beautiful life to go around. So be the the example. Be the love that somebody else needs this week. So here's what I need you to do. Two things this week. I need you to answer the question, what makes me angry? Man, grab a cup of coffee, sit down, and just immediately what comes to mind, what makes me angry? Write it down. And then we ask the question, why does that make me angry? Why does it make me angry? And then I want you to do something that many of us struggle to do, and that is participate in what we call the Sabbath life. Or just take a Sabbath. For some of you, it may be taking a nap. For some of you, it may be taking a walk this week. Whatever it is, carve out a piece of time just for you where you get rejuvenated and you get rest. I don't know. Maybe for you, it's going to the gym. Maybe for you, it's... linking up with somebody and just talking about things that you're struggling with, I don't know what Sabbath is for you. But whatever will rejuvenate you and give you life, do it this week. Participate in Sabbath. And here's why. Sabbath is about releasing all control. And it's about trusting in God. God is the one who made Sabbath for us, not us for Sabbath. So it's about a relation. It's a relational thing of trusting God. God that he could give us rest, that he could give us peace. So, why are you angry? What makes you angry? And take a Sabbath this week. Let me pray for us.